what are the hottest product ideas uh, that you've discovered throughout this process? We uh, discussed a, an idea that I hope someone steals. How do you go about spotting those successful business ideas? I would look at areas that are booming, that are growing. I think it makes it much easier to tap into something that is already there than to create something from scratch. If you kind of get used to thinking this way, then uh, all, all you see is kind of ideas in a way. Because that's the idea of the podcast, steal, steal our business ideas. Welcome to the Digital Transformer Podcast, your number one podcast on digital innovation, transformation, and venture building. We help entrepreneurs and corporate innovation leaders like you gain the knowledge and skills you need to build the leading digital businesses of your industry. Today, I talk to Alexander Mrozek, CEO at Otka Digital, columnist at Wirtschaftswoche, and host of the Digital Optimisten podcast, one of the most streamed podcasts globally. As the leader of Dr. Utka's digitization and venture building unit, founder of an award-winning startup, and owner of the best database for business ideas in Germany, Alex is an absolute expert on identifying new exciting business models. In today's episode, we thus talk about some of the hottest product ideas to start now, three ways to spot successful business ideas, and why side hustles are a great way to get started as an entrepreneur. So with no further ado, let me welcome Alex. Awesome to have you, Alex. Can you give me the context of how you get into interviewing some of the most successful founders and investors in Germany? Well, thank you for having me, Kilian, first of all. Great to be here. I worked for Google in San Francisco for a couple of, a couple of years ago. Uh, I was, um, you know, building products. Uh, I was working on the Google Assistant first, and then I worked on an advertising product. And before I joined Google, I had my own startup. And at some point, you know, you know, Google is is great, is is a wonderful environment. I love working there, but I kind of wanted to get back in touch to the with the um, founders environment right i wanted to i don't know i i thought you know well now i'm here in in silicon valley in san francisco and you know i, I just love to to understand what are people working on and i even had a had a, a more let's say i had one more thought that kind of provoked me into starting the podcast i thought back at the time you know if well, whoever, Mark Zuckerberg, Marissa Meyer, Elon Musk, were, if I would have met them, you know, when in the first year when they founded Facebook, uh, Tesla, whatever, and they would have pitched their idea to me and they wouldn't have been these big superstars of the tech scene that they are still, that they were even bigger at the time, a couple of, year, a couple of months ago. So would I have believed them? Would I have bought into their idea and their vision? So I thought that was quite interesting. So I, I started interviewing early stage founders in Silicon Valley. And yeah, that's, uh, so that's the podcast Digital Optimisten that I'm, I'm talking about. And um, yeah, so that kind of grew bigger. And I started writing a column uh, in Wirtschaftswoche in one of the German uh, business magazines. And at some point uh, last year, I thought, okay, great. I, I interviewed so many founders. Can we give this another spin. And I thought, you know, what the most interesting spin that I could give my podcast 
is to not simply talk about products and vision of, of, of products, but also to ask these founders what other business ideas they have. So you must imagine if you interview someone that is dedicated to, let's say, the audio space or legal tech or launching a new food brand, whatever. These people, these founders, they're 24-7, they spend thinking about this product and they have so many other business ideas, that, but they tell themselves, no, I can't solve the, another business problem. I need to solve the one that I'm working on. So that's why, and I found that was, that was consistent with every founder that I talked to. And I thought, well, after surveying, you know, the listeners that I have, I know that my listeners on Digital Optimist, they also, they're interested in founding their own stuff. They might not be the most experienced people, but they, you know, they, they're thinking about maybe starting a side hustle or starting their own big thing. So I thought, well, that's a wonderful source of inspiration for my, uh, for my listeners And I started to um, ask these founders, we still talked about the startup, but we added a question and that is a simple question. What kind of startup would you found today if you were, if you were forced to do something else? And these, um, yeah, these kind of, these discussions, they spark, I feel something really interesting. They spark, they spark new ideas, business ideas, side hustle ideas. Um, so yeah, that kind of is the new focus of, of my podcast. And we started collecting all these business ideas that we get from investors and founders on, on a website called digitaloptimisten.de. And it kind of grew, grew out of this initial spark. Which I think is super fascinating because like from personal experience, I can relate like talking to these super experienced founders gives you such a treasure trove of insights that you can then take forward, but actually also giving a bit of a twist and saying, hey, these people that constantly scout the market, they understand what's, let's say, beyond their niche is happening because like most entrepreneurs you go out there and you analyze hundreds of ideas possibly and then figuring out your own one but there's probably five or six that you discard where you say hey this could actually be also really cool and just let's say helping others who are constantly constantly or con or at the moment in the exploration process and trying to figure out what could there be um, it's, it's really inspiring. And I, and I think it's, it's a really cool idea to, to frame it that way. And I think given that your podcast is amongst top listened one in the world, you must say about this, this topic, I think it also shows that there's massive demand for such things. Now, what I'd be curious about is what are the hottest product ideas uh, that you've discovered throughout this process in the, in the past year? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So First off, I want to say um, to your previous point, I, I'm happy that people share their ideas. So maybe, maybe our listeners, maybe you have someone who had an idea and they were so cautious of sharing that because you, know, you, you thought maybe someone is going to run away with my idea and steal it and actually build it and I'm going to be the one that is going to be you know, a bit sad That's that I, you know, someone else stole my idea. The reality is, That hardly ever happens. So I, I would even challenge anyone if you have a business idea. And let's say, you know, you have a big, let's say Adidas is your big competitor or Mercedes-Benz or just a huge company. And you would write down your business plan 
and you would send an email to the people at Adidas and outlining your business plan, how you are going to disrupt them. I, I'm pretty sure they are not going to they take action on this because <laughs> yeah. obviously you, it's just an idea, right? You're just a, a person on the street. Who cares? But if you succeed, the same happened to Tesla. I mean, you know, they, they, they were still, they were already quite big and people still dismissed them. So I think, you know, there's what I'm trying to say is there's a lot of value in sharing your ideas, not keeping them to themselves because the upside of getting feedback, actionable feedback is much more likely then you know someone running away with your idea and stealing it and actually building something successful. So that that's just a little bit as, as a preface. Are you enjoying this podcast so far? Then hit the subscribe button now to make sure you do not miss the next episode. Now back to the interview. Absolutely. And, and to maybe jump in here briefly, it's it's something that you know, any investor you send a pitch deck to or so, they say, I'm, I'm not going to sign an NDA precisely because of that reason. Because people are way too busy pursuing their own plans and their own ideas that they will ultimately steal your idea. And as you mentioned, like the feedback component is so crucial, especially in the early stages to, let's say, do the falsification. Is that actually something that's somewhat interesting to people, but then also to do the very uh, validation and at the end of the day, 90% of it, at least, is execution, right? So that's true. There's so true. many great ideas out there, but ultimately, you got to have the right team, you got to have the right resources, you got to have the right timing as well to really, let's say, build on that promising idea. And so the, the sooner you can get the feedback, the sooner you know, hey, am I actually onto something that with the right resources, I could evolve into something big? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, coming back to your question on, on what are some ideas. Um, so when I, I think the, the unique thing that, you know, I, I like about talking to these founders is, as I mentioned before, is these people are experts in their field. They, they, they also tell you if, and I also pitch them ideas and they tell me, you know, Alex, that's pretty much bullshit or <laughs> that's, that's, that's already solved, right? So they're pretty honest, which is good. I think one idea that we discussed uh, a couple of weeks ago, which I found quite interesting, is um, you've probably heard of the app Be Real, I guess. It's an app for everyone who doesn't know. It's a social media app. It has ranked number one in the German app, I think also in the US app uh, store for quite some time now. It's, an, uh, it's a company from France. And they market themselves very heavily as the anti-Instagram, the anti-TikTok. So what they say is, you know, there's n be real. So there's no fakeness on the platform. And what they do is every day you get a notification ask, giving you, I think, two minutes to snap a picture of both yourself and your surrounding. So the content is, to be honest, I find it often super boring. It's a lot of people, you know, working or, you know, hanging around on their couch or taking a picture of their dog. But it's something new. It's real. You know, it's authentic. There's no, there might be time for a duck face, but not much more than that. You can't put a filter on and can't clean your room um, or, you know, just to invent, I don't know, put yourself on a red carpet if you're not actually on a red carpet. So it's something unique and, and real. And I think, you know, so I, I, we looked at this trend uh, on the podcast and we tried to understand what is the underlying playbook here? What's the trend? What can we really distill? Uh, you know, why are people drawn to this app? Um, and we came to the conclusion 
it's a small niche of people that isn't that small because they're number one on the app store, but a small group of people who are really sick of the fakeness online. And you know, one application of this is the social media space. So we asked ourselves, okay, so how can we transfer this playbook to other areas? And you know, we, we uh, discussed a, an idea that I hope someone steals, maybe also <laughs> from your uh, listeners, because that's the idea of the podcast, steal, steal our business ideas. It's uh, an, uh, how can we transfer this idea of bringing realness to an area that is pretty fake? And the other aspect is, uh, you know, the other area that I f believe is super fake is dating. So I'm, I don't know. So my days on dating apps have long gone, <laughs> but I know that a lot of people are on dating apps. And the number one thing that they say is, it just sucks, you know, um, you have profile pictures of people, they look totally different. I don't know, they, they put, they optimize their, their little slogans, but you know, it doesn't really, there's no real connection that you can strike. So also they have this issue of, of fakeness in a way. So I'm waiting for someone to just spin out an app that, you know, utilizes maybe even the same features as BeReal has. Uh, I don't know if you want to um, be a one-to-one -one clone, but you could. You could market yourself heavily as the anti-Tinder, uh, just as t uh, Be Real does it with the anti-TikTok. And I think, you know, just bringing an authentic uh, dating experience on the market, I think this would get you quite some press uh, to, to hit you off. I don't know. Then And then it depends on, obviously, your execution, your momentum, uh, if this is successful. But that's an idea that I found um, quite interesting, and I'm hoping for someone to, to steal. Now, I think that's a, that's a super interesting concept, especially, like, from given what you said is the young generation they really let's say also seek this authenticity um i mean generalizing here right but i think if you if you look at most people we're kind of like saying hey there is only like we spend so much time online and like most of our connections are online most of our social interactions are online i want this to be an experience that has let's say that that is true to how it would be in real life so to speak uh because it, it is part of my extended reality in a way and so let's say diving into this and saying how can we how can we make this experience more natural and more real uh is crucial i mean this is also why let's say so many people look for peer reviews and everything else right because there is just the the need for let's say other people to somewhat confirm you but confirm you also the way you are and uh, i think this is something that like pushes into that let's say bigger trend yeah interesting interesting idea yeah i, I think there's some I think there's some potential there. And now, like taking a step back, how would you, because you, let's say, per, not maybe perfected the process, but you've you spent a lot of time, let's say, dwelling on ideas, spotting them, figuring out how to, let's say, shape them into an idea that could actually be something very valuable down the line. How do you go about spotting those successful business ideas? Yeah, so I, I, I like the way you phrased the question. Uh, you asked, uh, how do we spot successful uh, ideas? Obviously, you know, it's really hard to determine, to determine a successful idea from the start, but I think there's some ways you can think about it that might make an idea more successful than others. So, you know, to start off, we like to look at areas that are booming. 
because you know if um, a rising tide raises all boats and i think it's much easier to tap into an existing market than to create a new one from scratch that's kind of a thing that we looked into i'll give you one example for that um so one of the recent episodes we talked to a founder and um you know we taught we came to the uh, we started talking about content marketing and platforms that are you know growing in popularity and we found out that newsletter marketing so if you um, subscribe to newsletter um, uh, so this is actually a market that is expected to double in size in 2027 so the whole email marketing game why is that a couple of reasons uh, first people tend to you know tend to move a little bit away from building their house on rented land meaning building on instagram and tiktok you saw what happened to twitter if the platform implodes then you know you just got followers that you know don't matter this imagine if you have 500,000 followers on facebook i hope you converted them to to instagram at some point <laughs> or uh, to email useless <laughs> yeah or you got their email addresses so and also you know there's things with the cookie going away making it harder to track people on your website so email addresses um they have a lot of things going for them because they tend to be very durable and a lot of a lot more money is flowing to this platform so we talked about business ideas in this market that is growing and uh so actually something that we think is not very well developed at the moment is a marketplace where you can connect advertisers to newsletter publishers so let's say uh, you know you you have a very specialized product that you want to sell to to a niche. Chances are you might reach them via Google search. You might reach them over Facebook. But the most engaged people they subscribe to newsletters. And if you find the right publication where you can place your message in front of those people that are just in a very spe specific niche, this might be a very profitable way for you to market your product. So um, this is something that we were looking into. It would actually be super easy to just start as a side hustle, to just build up as a newsletter uh, marketing platform. Uh, and you can even see this in other areas as well. I mean, podcasts are booming and you can see podcast marketing platforms uh, sprouting up, right? They're not that big yet, but a um, couple, of, couple of winners are emerging. And we think the same is going to happen uh, again, even more, even better than it actually is for the newsletter game. So what I'm trying to say, I'm trying to get back to your question, is um, I think you know you should start with with an area one with an area that is already uh, growing, and two talk to people that are actually in the space. So you can just listen to the podcast, but also if you have a different idea, just talk to people who think um, might be uh, might be might be interested. And then you know something. Let's not disregard an, uh, a process that people have done since the beginning of the internet and most famously rocket internet is just look at what is working in other geographies like in the us i mean rocket internet they they've become the biggest powerhouse uh, i think the they have the highest number of unicorn founders so so i should phrase this differently so rocket internet is the company with um, their alumni have the have been the most successful in in founding unicorns in germany so they, they, they have been quite, quite substantial for the German ecosystem. And, you know, they were super successful with looking at the stuff that worked in other markets, not exclusively, but some of their biggest hits came from there. And they spun it up for the German and then European market. So that's something also that might, might work quite well. You might be going into niches like uh, a couple of episodes ago, we looked at the pet foods market. 
that I think that's a couple of this. So, you know, how to feed, how do you feed your dog? And uh, we talked to a founder who just had a, um, a huge exit, uh, 400 million to Mars. He sold his company to Mars. And uh, we asked him, uh, so what would you build next? And he said, um, a physical therapy for dogs, <laughs> which I found quite interesting. And he had the he had the he had the he had the impression uh, he had the idea that you know um, I had the idea that the U.S. market might be a couple of years before the German market, so you might just go that route as well. Yeah, and obviously something something I'll give you a third one, something that I I find incredibly resourceful, but nobody really looks at it, and that is annual reports of stock listed companies. So in these annual reports these companies that are stock listed they're going to write to they're going to tell you what their biggest growth segments are what their biggest obstacles are they they're even going to tell you you know what the biggest threats to their business are so i mean it's just you know if you're an aspiring entrepreneur and you just want to get an idea of what you want to do next i'll and you're curious, maybe you're you're passionate about a, a space let's say you're you're um you're passionate about the flower space you know let's just say you love flowers and then you look into the annual reports of 1-800-Flowers which is I think the one of the biggest players in the US that is uh, that is listed on the stock exchange and if you read their annual report they're going to put something in there like uh, we grew uh, especially uh, well this year above average because uh, we we double down on our efforts to uh, market to the student demographic and they uh, and they, you know, they they ordered whatever succulents or some kind of plant. So, and they're going to write these things in there. So they've done basically the market research for you, right? They're this huge player. And if you if you think the market is big enough, just spin out your own little piranha that attacks this value, this this little piece of uh, fillet, you know, uh, that that these people have identified that that grows well. So, you know, just build the perfect, just do one thing, just build a company that does one thing and offer succulents to students. Do that really well, but be there where people are. 1-800-Flowers is not going to be uh, on student campuses and they're not going to be, uh, not going to doubling down their marketing efforts just for that probably, but you can be because you're small and nimble. So, and then you can start, you know, attacking other areas of their business model. So this is also something that might work quite well. And there's so many other areas that you can just spin out business ideas. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, if you, at some point, if you kind of get used to thinking this way, then uh, all, all you see is kind of ideas in a way. Yeah. And what I think is particularly fascinating about the last approach you described is that ultimately also gives way to, let's say, becoming a, we're planning on being a good acquisition target from day one. Because if you basically go ahead and solve a problem of a company, of a big company that ultimately has been proven to, let's say, buy out or at least strike partnerships with other startups and stuff, then down the line, if you're really successful in that niche, they might be very tempted to taking you over and that's a perfect access channel because personally, I don't, I'm not a believer that you necessarily have to build always a unicorn company and have to like say that the only way to make an exit is to go public. And I think by really mm -hmm. tackling that area uh, in, in that way, you can build a 50, a hundred million dollar revenue business. That is very, very interesting to then 
also being taken over by a strategic player, so to speak. Absolutely. I, I think this is a good point that you're raising because I, I think one other thing that I would recommend everyone is um, you can decide to go big from the start and decide, you know, this is the I'm going to quit my job idea. But there's also so much opportunity to just start something on the side. And back when I was in San Francisco, that and when I worked there, uh, I, I, you know, everyone I work with had some kind of side hustle. And I found that incredibly interesting because, you know, people were, uh, I, 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 I thought, you know, they were very, they were just really in touch with what's, what works and what doesn't. They were, you know, we worked for Google, we built the advertising products, but we were also customers because we used the product and tried to, you know, actually find, find clients on the site. So I think it's a wonderful way for, for everyone to stay in touch if you're interested in, uh, if you're business-minded in a way. I don't think it's ever been easier to, to spin up something on the side, try to find customers, just get them to a landing page, uh, try to, I don't know, try to catch their email addresses. So, you know, you could also start super easily. And obviously with the proliferation of no-code tools and generative AI, that's the new big buzzword in, in, uh, in Silicon Valley at the moment. So, I mean, that's, there's so much opportunity to look at this. And yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, your podcast also, you know, and my podcast, we try to be inspiration for people who, you know, try to try to build stuff. So that's that's a bit that's a bit what we're trying to do. Are you enjoying this episode so far? Do you know someone who might enjoy listening to this episode as well? Simply click on share to send it. Now back to the episode. And I, and I think it's it's funny that you mentioned it with this with the site hassle because you yourself you have experience in that domain uh, while you, whilst being at Google you build up uh, your own little startup so to speak could you know and um, it's sure a challenge right like to to let's say stay focused on two things at the same time and make both things grow but I wholeheartedly agree that that's a great way to start out especially if in the very early beginnings you're just let's say juggling ideas and trying to figure out which one is the one that i'm super super sold on that i really want to go into and to get to that point it also let's say might give you a bit of where it keeps you in security at the same time you can let's say go explore a bit out there and then you'll you'll see when when the right moment is to let's say take the leap and jump mm. yeah well I mean, I like the feeling of, you know, having, wanting to clone myself. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful feeling to be in because that means that there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that's just uh, out there that you could do. Um, and to be honest, I've always enjoyed both parts. I've always enjoyed, you know, having a steady employment and, you know, having, being, uh, having a purpose that I, that I can subscribe to. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's always been kind of in my DNA to explore something. I did that, uh, you're right, with, uh, with at Google. I first um, launched an education tech uh, company where we basically built, um, you know, Lego, right? The Lego kits for, for kids. So we actually built a Lego kit that uh, you can program. So you can build little projects like an alarm system or a keyboard. That was really fun, but it's really tough to scale a company in the education tech space. That's what I learned. It's really hard to to reach the people in the right demographic and the customer acquisition, customer lifetime value is always a challenge. So that was something that you know wasn't a venture capital case in the way uh, in in any case. 
So we decided to uh, leave it as a side hustle and, and make it just profitable and make it as a profitable business on the side. That was also a very deliberate decision that I think more people should take. Not every idea is a venture capital case, but some are just there to, you know, to, to earn, uh, be, be, be a bit positive, and just earn a little uh, income on the side. Um, so that's what we decided for, for that business. And also at Google, I, I decided to launch the podcast, which has now grown into uh, cool. something a bit more. And like taking it from there, would you say like, what is your suggestion? Because I feel like there is, let's say, a very preconceived idea on what it takes to build a huge or to be an entrepreneur in the first place, that you have to raise massive venture capital, that you have to, um, let's say, build a unicorn company and so on and so forth. But what you just alluded to is that there is a very different path which might be equally satisfying and in some cases might even end up giving you a better, let's say, return on your time invested and your, your passion invested, so to speak. What's your take on that? We've talked to so many founders on the podcast and oftentimes they become, yeah, something something like friends, you know? So I speak to them a half a year after we, we, we had an interview and obviously some of them, they are successful and others are not successful. And I sometimes I ask them that question, what would you have done differently in a private setting? And I hear very often two answers. The one answer is, I should not have raised venture capital at the first opportunity that I saw. And the second answer that they give me is, I should have waited until I hire people. And both are, I think, quite differently, but the first one goes to the question that you asked, so, I mean, let's, let's take a nuanced perspective on venture capital. I think on the one hand, you have to say that hardly any company that is now a household name has done so without external financing. So you probably need some kind of external financing at some point if you're not born wealthy or you know, have some other means of, uh, of financing. So it's not a bad thing per se. I don't want to say that. That would, be, that would not be a very smart thing to say. But at the same time, I think you should be very clear of what venture capital means. That means, you know, well, one, of course, giving away equity of the company, that can be a good thing. That's not bad, right? Because you get smart people in the room. But also, you start playing the venture capital game. And this game, you just have to understand it, that the, the way that a venture capital fund works, you need fund makers. You need one, of, you need, uh, one or two, the venture capital fund, they need one or two companies, or maybe more, that are really breakthroughs that make 10x on their investment, that can fund and uh, you know and absorb the losses that others startups will ultimately make. So it is it is you know it's growth. You need growth, and you know I think the past couple of years with companies like Gorillas or in other areas, you know you can see that sometimes just growing it can be too much. You can overextend. And also, it might not be the game that you want to play. So I just think that you need to be, again, it's not a bad thing. It can be perfect to, if you, that you, you, know, you need some gasoline on the flame, you need to grow. Please go ahead. There's wonderful venture capitalists out there that can really help you. But I believe some companies, some founders, they believe that it's the only way to go and to have to raise money at the get-go. That might not be the best thing to go. Maybe you should start 
it just uh, there's so many ways that you can leverage automation and no code at the you know at the start to to make up for the fact that you might not have money and might not have 10 employees at the start so what i'm saying is you know try to be good at what you do first and understand what you're doing and do everything yourself you're the founder so don't hire people it's your job to do everything and then if you believe you have a winning formula and you know what you're doing and you have a clear path also what you want to do, I think then you need financing and venture capital is a perfect way to do so. I just think, you know, people should know that they should think about it more deliberately when and how to take it. I really like this notion that I heard the other day from a very successful uh, investor who said, first build the engine. And then once the engine is running, then you can use capital as fuel to make it spin and run faster because then you know precisely where the engine is going to take you and i think that's that's basically what you're what you're also referring to here first let's say get your hands dirty really dive into it understand the entire business inside out and then as you understand it better and better and when you then realize hey now i have to raise cap funds because i know exactly hey that amount of money is going to take me here then it's a way better position to be in because you also then have to dilute less. Yes. And maybe also one thing, you had a nice um, metric at the start when you asked the question, return on passion invested. <laughs> I think that's a nice, uh, nice. I should think about that. So, so, I mean, if you take up, if you get venture capital into your company, then obviously you're going to, you should, you have to put a lot of time aside uh, in let's say 12 or 18 months to start raising more capital and you need a multi, you need to, you know, increase the value of the equity. So um, the talk clock kind of starts uh, ticking, which again, might be a good thing, but doesn't have to be. And the same happens if you hire people, which, you know, obviously at some point you're going to need to hire people if you want to be bigger. So that's not the point that I'm making. But I think also you have to be super deliberate in when you hire people, because as soon as you leave a certain range of uh, a certain size, if you become a certain size, then you suddenly can't obsess over the product or the customer anymore. You have to obsess over promotions and uh, trainings and, uh, you know, employer branding, all those things that you that are important, but might be something that at a certain point of your startup might distract you. So both things, I believe, um, I think the perfect tool out there at the moment is no code and the, uh, just the explosion of the opportunity that you have. I mean, there's tools like DALI 2, which is a generative um, a photo creation uh, with, you just enter a text and then it generates an, a text, an image for you that you can use. I mean, you could, you could start off with that, right? You don't need a designer at the start, just use that and it's totally fine. Also, you know, writing blogs, uh, there's so much artificial intelligence that is kind of coming down on the, to the consumer level now that you can use that is okay for the start, right? You don't need a Pulitzer Prize if you want to write a, if you want to just get some SEO uh, traffic for your, uh, for your blog. I think, you know, there's way more opportunity now for, for founders to be super smart in the way that they, one, um, increase their burn rate, so the money that they're spending, and also, um, you know, be very deliberate in when to hire people. Awesome. Yeah, I totally agree. So in, in a nutshell, when it comes to spotting and then ultimately executing on, on, on successful business ideas, what were the, like the two, three tips that you would give young um, founders and people in, in, the, in the corporate context? 
Well, I would say, first one, I would um, kind of touch a bit on the point that I, I um, uh, that I made a couple of minutes ago, is I would look at areas that are booming, that are growing. I think it makes it much easier to tap into something that is already there than to create something from scratch. The second thing I believe is, um, you know, you need to tap into some kind of your passion as well, because I don't think there's a big, big chance for you to launch a page and then you get flooded by orders or whatever you're doing, or, you know, get tons of users on your site. I, I don't think that's the normal experience. I think it's quite a grind and you need to be very patient in what you do. So I think, you know, to be quite honest, if, if it doesn't tap in, I think most people quit and maybe they quit before it would have taken off, but the chance to reduce your, uh, reduce your likelihood of quitting early. And I think you need some kind of passion uh, that you, so it might be a boring, boring tip, but uh, that's the second thing that I do. And third thing, you know, uh, I would say, think about starting something on the side. Think about, you know, not quitting your job straight away, but thinking about, um, yeah, trying to understand who, um, uh, yeah, maybe you can start something uh, on the side without being uh, quitting your job straight away. That gives you some kind of security at, uh, also, and uh, again, increases the likelihood that you um, stick with it. Thank you, Alex. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. For folks who want to listen to your podcast, Digitale Optimisten, where can they find it? Well, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you find your uh, podcast. And if you want to tap into the, the database of business ideas that we've discussed in the past, uh, there's some really um, great names like Florian Heinemann uh, that we talked to, one of the, I think, most successful investors in Germany, and uh, some really impressive founders like Timo Kunz and Sven Schulz, who had uh, huge exits. Uh, so yeah, just uh, you can find that on digitaloptimisten. Awesome. Thanks again for joining us and I hope to see you soon again. Great. Thank you, Kilian.